Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, uh, the place where I share weird thoughts in my brain that I am incredibly curious about and I'm looking for your input to help challenge my thinking, to change my thinking so that I can grow as a person and sort of develop my thoughts into more cohesive ideas and and, and talk to people who have uh, similar or much different thoughts on these topics. Remember, you can best place to to check this stuff out is well. It really depends on how you want to do it. www.chrisbircher.com is, is my sort of blog with where I post everything every week. I've got a Facebook site for KEW. Uh, I do an Instagram, uh, but those things are kind of linked. And uh, I also ha- upload podcasts uh, to all you know Stitcher, Google Play, whatever the Apple one is. You can find them there. You can subscribe to them. You can follow them however you want to follow, or you can just load the podcast right off the website and listen to them. And then I have a YouTube channel where the YouTube videos. Essentially, I'm recording podcasts and videos, sharing my thoughts and looking for uh, feed, not feedback, but um, you know, looking to create a discourse, to have a conversation about some of these things. And um, it's very stream of consciousness. I'm just throwing this stuff out there. Every week I have an idea of a, of a topic that's been bugging me or something I've th- thought about for most of my life. And I don't know a whole lot of people uh, that think about these kind of things um, or, or, or want to talk about them. So I'm, I'm doing it in this virtual environment. Anyway, I, I appreciate any attention you want to give, good or bad, and uh, I hope that it possibly influences your life. So today, this, uh, there's this, there's this you know, f- phrase, old beliefs, and uh, it's, it's a very important part of my life. And I think it's an important part of everyone's life, uh, should you choose to want to grow, if you're that kind of person. And you know, it's funny, some people just don't want to. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Me, I'm sort of obsessed with becoming, with sort of mastering my mind, mastering what it is to be human, and trying to get better. And that getting better, assumedly, leads to being happier, or, or whatever that means, or being more content, or being more satisfied, or learning how to be human with all of our uh, warts and, and, and problems and issues about being human. You know, I, I, I really believe we are amazingly evolved creatures, and it's, it's sort of mind-blowing to even think about how we ended up being the types of the type of species that we are, and we have all these capabilities. But you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and a lot of these things, like being able to think, bring with them uh, some downsides. You know, like not being able to control your thinking, and that's uh, a, a, an example of what we're talking about today. So, the concept of old beliefs came to me a couple of different ways. First, through the writings of Carlos Castaneda. Um, a maybe fictitious and maybe nonfiction account of his time spent with Toltec um, peoples in Mexico and what he learned and sort of how the, the, the native culture there tried to snap him out of his whiteness, you know, of, of his Americanness uh, and challenge some of his thoughts of these old beliefs that he, he had uh, and introduced to him a new set of beliefs. And then through that, other Toltecs like Don Miguel Ruiz is a, a studier of, of that culture. And, but, but to me, primarily, I sort of fell on Gary Van Warmerdam, who was a student of Miguel Ruiz and has um, a website and a coaching services uh, at pathwaytohappiness.com. And if I ever get around to it, I'll, I'll put a, a, link, a page of links on my page of things that have influenced me. But certainly Gary... Van Warmerdam has influenced me. And he talks a lot about old beliefs and that suggest that many of our problems that we have in relationships and jobs and depression and anxiety and things like that come from these old beliefs. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what I've, what I've learned from all those sources and through counseling and cognitive behavioral therapy. And what cognitive behavioral therapy does, it's, it's one of the tools and it has its, its, its ups and downs, its pros and cons that help you get control of your mind and most importantly you, you know to to change some of these old beliefs you know it's like it's like habits 
if you're not in the habit of exercising and maybe you're overweight and it's really hard to get into that habit and change your body and change your your mindset and change your behavior and old beliefs really is sort of an umbrella for all of these different things I, I think for me it makes the most sense to think that okay what is an old belief to think that these systems of thinking that were you developed it might have been imposed on you by other people or might have just been your reaction to things happening in your world that happen, I think, pretty much when we're young and get programmed, hardwired into your brain as successful pathways to contentment or to, you know, maybe one time you were scared and you realized that you were getting picked on on the playground by bigger kids and you realized that if you bribed them with your cookies or made them laugh, they would leave you alone so that you know that you developed in that moment to avoid a very short-term moment of fear, some coping strategy, whatever you could grab at, whatever came to your mind first for whatever reason uh, and got you out of that situation. Well, unfortunately, that, that during that de- those developmental stages, I guess, where your brain is, is really sensitive to those types of wirings. I, you know, I don't even have the language to talk about this. Um, something happens that's, that tells your brain, hey, this works in this situation. Whenever you feel like this, you impose this behavior pattern and it gets you a good result. That becomes so hard, steadfast. And then maybe nothing happens to you for 10, 15 years and it happens again, well, your body's going to react to that same thing that worked before. Instead of grasping at whatever, some random thing that you can do, you know, you remember that. Um, you know, maybe you you realize that in uncomfortable situations, if you uh, make people laugh, it makes you and other people more comfortable. So you become the class clown, become the comedian. Um, it, it's amazing to me how many of these sort of neuroses that I carried into my adulthood, but, you know, finally became aware of them in my adulthood through therapy and, and just general curiosity about um, why these things happen and why we think the way we do and, and why some of my thoughts are not necessarily healthy for me. Um, to, to think that those things were sort of permanent. You know, I remember very vividly about the third or fourth time I heard a therapist say, um, well, when you have that thought, uh, I'm not good enough or whatever it is. Just tell yourself that you that you are. And I thought, look, you don't get it. These thoughts, my reactions to a, a tender situation in my life, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm uncomfortable, they're so automatic and happen so fast, I don't have a chance to become aware of it happening. It's automatic right? How can that be? How can somebody um, say, hey, you look really nice in that shirt today. And the first thing you think is this person wants to hurt me or they're lying to me. You know, it's just, it's automatic. You don't even have the time to think of an alternative, you know, insert an alternative uh, explanation in at this point. So part of these old belief systems are, you know, they were developed when you were young, uh, probably out of near desperation, you know, you needed a solution to an immediate problem, and you came up with the best thing that you had. Unfortunately, they become very much, and I'll say, hardwired for lack of a better term, into your sort of subconscious mind as as functional um, mechanisms of re- of reaction, of thinking, of behavior that worked. And that will work again. And so they, they, you know, your your body's real good at that, right? If 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 you figure out that, um, you know, standing still and squatting helps you aim better to kill that prey item that you're going to get, you're probably your body's probably going to incorporate that f- on your behalf, so that the next time you get better at it. And that's you know that's how we get better at things. So you can't blame your brain. You can't blame evolution for this sort of thing happening. Um, it's, it's really trying to protect you because what it protected you the first time it got you out of getting beat up, uh, or, or whatever it was. Um, it, it got you a date with that girl. It, it, it helped you avoid an accident while you were driving, whatever, whatever these things are. Uh, and because they worked and have a release, you know, a release or relief 
period that comes after them, your body does the math and goes, okay, next time something like this happens, I'm going to impose this. And so they necessarily become automatic. But that's what makes them so hard to change. And, and, and that automated system requires probably some subconscious maintenance and attention. And then on top of all that, when new situations arise, like when you become an adult, or as you, as you get older, sometimes those old belief systems or old mechanisms of, 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 of safety or, or whatever that you developed as a kid are so wrong that it creates a dissonance in your brain of saying, wow, you know, um, when my kids or my, when my buddy hurt his foot when I was nine and I made him laugh, he stopped crying. I felt better and we were able to attend to the situation. So being a comedian is an effective solution to any problems that I have as an adult. Well, what happens if your, you know, your friend's girlfriend dies or parent dies or something like that, you impose the comedic um, relief response that you ingrained in, in your in your belief system and everybody gets mad at you and they're not friends with you anymore because it was so um, absurd and inappropriate to do that in that sort of situation. But you don't know that. You're still, you know, the, the mechanism was developed by a young person and can't be aware of all the different situations that are going to arise in your life. So what, what happens is these old beliefs start to break down and either create new problems or simply not work anymore. And that creates a dissonance. And I think that dissonance is a big part of some of the problems we have uh, as adults, like anxiety or unhappiness or mere dis- dissatisfaction or not being able to get ahead or, you know, and, and so how do we change those things? And that is hard. Just like changing a habit, it's 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 very similar to changing a habit. And I have a little bit of information about doing this, but I'm not sure that I'm I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert. I, I I'm not coming here today and saying I have solved all these magic problems and I'm going to. I'm simply putting stuff out there that I think will help everybody because I think everybody suffers from this in some way. And so this comes uh, brings up one of my sort of favorite. Um, I don't know who told me this one time, but we were talking about college and choosing your major. And I think this is kind of an example of what I'm talking about here and how a lot of people choose their majors out of des- for different reasons. And you get in this path and then four years later, you get a degree. And then a couple years later, you're into a job. And so six to 10 years may have passed and before you realize that you really didn't want to do this anymore. And what this person said to describe that situation was, why would you let an 18-year-old kid decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life? And so this old belief system to me is sort of like that. Why would you subscribe to a system of rules that an 8-year-old came up with out of desperation, even though this 8-year-old is you? I mean, if you think about it like that, it's absurd. And so we need to come up we probably need to, to alter these things as we age because we encounter more sophisticated situations, scenarios. Um, and, and for some reason, those things are so ingrained that we tend not to question them. We, you know, we, we, they, and, and part of that is repetition, right? Habits don't just happen in one instance. Those things are reinforced through time. It works. The class clown is a class clown because that strategy repeatedly pays off for him. Um, Lots of other examples like that. Um, trying to, you know, I think, I think, anxious people can often are often the sort of the people pleaser sort of situation. And this is me, you know. So maybe I'll talk about this example in the context of myself. You know, I realized uh, early on that if I, you know, that so I was kind of a loner. Um, I guess I was shy, really, like painfully, painfully shy, taking public speaking in college was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Uh, but it was so hard, you know, for some reason it worked. I, I finally was able to, you know, get up in front of people and talk without feeling like I was going to vomit or pass out or, or any, or being very defensive. But anyway, um, I, I, I was shy, um, didn't have a high self-esteem, whatever, and so I discovered somewhere along the lines through repetition that if I could try to make people happy 
by giving them compliments or making them laugh or also sort of changing my behavior to agree with what I thought they wanted out of me. You know, if somebody, I didn't really like sports, but if people were talking about sports, I would try to um, pretend to be enthusiastic about sports in order for them to like me more. So, you know, embarrassingly, I came up with a lot of mechanisms um, to what I, what do I say? Make people like me. I don't make them, but to make, make myself what I thought was going to be a more likable person to whomever I was talking to. So I became kind of this chameleon. Um, and that was an effective strategy. I thought, you know, it seemed to me like that was working. And then of course, 30 years later, I realized that I'm a less authentic person because I have this ingrained strategy and I, and I, and I, and I've learned over the last 10 to 15 years to catch myself when I'm doing that and try to not do it. But it's, it, it's a very much a habit because it, because I believed and my body believed that that was what I had to do, um, for people to like me and otherwise they weren't going to like me. And I, and, and so what, what happens there is I suffered from anxiety uh, really badly. That's um, probably the whole story is uh, it's a podcast in and of itself. But, you know, briefly that part of my fear of, of people and public speaking or, you know, whatever, or, or being w- w- turned into being found out. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I got so far from my real self and I was spending so much time and energy putting on these fronts um, that I think that created anxiety. That was uh, an energetic drain. And it also sort of led me to be a little, you know, led, led me. Maybe I was introverted to begin with, maybe not, but it, 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 it probably complemented my introverted tendencies to where. It was so energetically costly for me to be around other people. And, you know, I had close friends and family who I think knew, knew who I was and I could be authentic with. I'm talking about sort of these tertiary and quaternary relationships, seeing people at the, in the hallways or when you go to McDonald's and get something to eat or whatever, you know, putting on these fronts. And I think we all do that to a certain extent. But for me, it manifested itself ultimately in anxiety because that lifestyle, that behavior pattern was energetically costly and left me feeling conflicted. And again, this, this cognitive dissonance in my brain of going, why, what, why are you spending so much time and energy behaving like this? And, you know, so my solution to that short term when I was a kid was, was to try to develop an identity for myself. And so what I did was I, you know, I rebelled to it at first it was a rebellion and I'm not saying a cause B, but I, I look back at my life and think about how I was and um, as this people pleaser sort of, um, um, what's the word for it? Um, not the opposite of a narcissist, um, codependent. So I was sort of this, I became this sort of, and, and, I, and I identified that when I, when I got divorced, I sort of did the hard work and looked at myself and did a lot of therapy. And this is what I came up with, that I had been this uh, people pleasing um, codependent, more or less, or I had those tendencies for most of my life. And, and then it's about tracing it back. So what I'm telling you now is sort of what I figured out in therapy. Um, and, 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 it, and it, so I started um, rebelling. I started smoking cigarettes. I started being an outcast. And of course, I probably had that in me as a rebel anyway. But I think it was related to some of these things. You know, I was angry at the world for making me behave this way, right? Uh, I th- if, 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 even though I knew I was doing it, it was a coping mechanism that I had come up with. I didn't understand it. And so I blamed the world for making me feel uncomfortable and, and rebelled against that. And part of that is just natural teenager behavior of saying, you know, I believe that we don't know who we are until we say I'm not that. And so I was saying I'm not all these things. The groups that made me feel the most uncomfortable or that I felt the most uncomfortable around were the ones I was blaming, the rich kids, the jocks, the popular kids, you know, I wasn't that anyway. So that I started smoking cigarettes. I started smoking weed and what I did. And, and, and those things solved a problem. You know, they helped with my discomfort. They helped solidify my identity. Um, and, but they, but they also solidify that old belief system that I am not worthy. I am not like these people, people, I, I have to separate myself into this, you know, and, and this protective shell, um, that allows me to, to fend off those invaders, not really realizing that I was doing it all to myself, right? Uh, and so when, once I discovered weed, 
I think what happened was in the short term that relieved my anxiety. I mean, I do believe there are some uh, qualities in cannabis that helps soothe anxiety. I think it's really hard to perpetuate that. I think um, it's really easy to overdo it. It's hard to get the right dose. There's a lot of things, but I think smoking pot put off me realizing that I was an anxious person. I had no idea at the time that I was anxious, but a lot of this, think about it, being in public, talking to people, it made me anxious. I'd had natural anxious tendencies. And I think smoking cigarettes, smoking weed, isolating myself um, helped push that off for a while. So I created this belief system that I'm a stoner, I'm a smoker, uh, whatever, that and 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 that helps me be a better person but that's who I am. Anyway, um about the time that I went to grad school and decided I'm going to take my life seriously, I stopped smoking weed. I said I'm going to, you know, I'm going to master this thing. I was never really, I mean, I was a pothead for a while, but I, I you know, I wanted to demonstrate to myself that I had control over that. So I quit. Of course, I didn't realize this at the time, but looking back on it, what happened right after I quit, and it's hard to tease these things apart because I started taking life more seriously. I got a serious girlfriend who became my first wife. I went to graduate school. You know, I was late 20s. A lot of things were going on, but I also quit smoking weed. But what happened pretty quickly after that was my anxiety went rampant. Um, and sometimes I wonder if the, you know, if the, the weed was masking it but I think it actually probably made it worse. I should have been dealing with these things all along, and it got worse and worse, but I was unaware of it, and then it was sort of like slapped me right upside the head. And again, um, probably another podcast worth of stuff in here, but my anxiety manifested itself as emetophobia. And you probably don't know what that is, but it's the fear of vomiting in public. And so I, you know, I tell people, every graduate class I was in including my PhD, but I started to get a handle on it after that. But certainly for two or three or four years, every time I was in a public area, the first thing I did was look for the door so I knew I could escape if I was going to vomit. I The whole time I was sitting in a class and supposedly listened to a lecture, I was fighting the feeling of vomiting and worried about having to get up and run out of the door and vomit. I didn't realize that at the time that this was my anxiety manifesting itself. It was, it was my body saying, you got to deal with some shit that you've been putting off. Now it's time to pay the piper. And I had no idea what was going on, except um, I thought something was wrong with me and nobody knew about it. You know, and it's crazy if you think about it. It was like life isolating myself even more. Um, But anyway, all of this, I I believe, to be part of an old belief system of I'm not good enough, uh, I got to please people. And it just totally, that, that as a kid, kept me from getting beat up. Um, it helped me deal with being weird uh, and and different, um, and it just it it made my day to day life better for a short time when I was a young kid, probably up to like fourteen or fifteen even. And of course, it you know it's not like I stopped. I kept doing the same old stuff, but it wasn't. I didn't have as severe threats anymore. But certainly, you know, I used to get picked on, beat up, chased down, yelled names at all the time. And so I you know I I. I I had to come up with some way of dealing with it. So, But I think all of these things are related, right? And it finally manifested itself as anxiety. And so to me, anxiety and depression, of course, they're biological. But part of it is linked to this idea of old beliefs of, I don't know how, but hopefully that example sort of illustrates why I think this is an important thing um, and why for me, I think these things line up as potential causal agents um, and maybe in you and maybe in other people, because these problems are are pretty common in adults. I I just, I honestly think, I don't find it that hard to believe that absent any sort of guidance, mentors, parents, siblings, in situations when we're young, of course course we find ourselves in, in the hallways at school, on the playground, nowadays on the phone, Things come up that stress you out, and you don't know what this even is, and you have to come up with some way to deal with that. Um, you know, sexual promiscuity, drinking, drugs, 
people pleasing, comedic, you know, comedic seems harmless, but, you know, I think a lot of comedians have pretty severe depression and anxiety issues. Um, I, I, I don't find it that hard to believe that we learn things when we're kids that aren't healthy for us in the long term. They do wonderful things probably in as far as, and maybe not, maybe it's a bad thing that they even help us in the short term. Maybe I should have got my ass kicked a bunch of times and fought back. You know, sometimes I look back and say, what I should have done is fought back every time that happened, even if it meant getting hurt or whatever, but I was just too scared and I never did that. Um, I think about that a lot. That that may have may have been the correct solution, but the point is, you don't know what the correct solution is. You don't have mentorship, mentors, and leaders, and people to protect you all the time. In fact, you know that's when the bullies and stuff tend to invade. Is when they know it's there's nobody around to, to protect you. And so I wonder how much of our adult problems are related to these things. So then, then the sort of the question becomes, um, what do we do about it? For me, you know, I, I was not aware of, even, even into my 30s, I still didn't really understand what was happening. I, I, ju- I, I started to apply labels to myself. Well, I'm just different. Um, I'm an anxious person. I look at my family. I got a history of anxiety and depression. Um, what, whatever it is, I just said, this is how I am. It wasn't until I connected the dots. I had read Carlos Castaneda. I started going to therapy after my divorce when I was about 40, I guess, almost 10 years now. I get no, it has been 10 years ago. So for the last 10 years, I've sort of said, what's wrong with me in a, in a healthy sense? What can I do to alleviate these symptoms of discomfort? And, that, and that's sort of what drives this for me. It's not like, I want to be happy or, you know, I, I just want the demons to go away. And and it and I look at my oldest daughter now, who has which is so weird. She has emetophobic tendencies, and I'm just like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Did I teach it to her? Is it hereditary? Um, it's so weird. Um, but so being able to watch it in her and having done the train, you know, the, the learning and stuff for me has has even expedited my need to sort of understand this whole thing. Uh, but the point is. I think somehow as an artifact of our old beliefs and as new situations arise as we age, those things can turn on us. You know, it's almost like, well, you could argue a couple of ways. It's almost like life slapping you in the face and saying, whatever you did that first time was wrong. You need to change it. You know, that, that's a nice little sort of warning um, of life that you need to, to change something. Um, or it's just a natural part of, of, of how we do things because life changes. You know, certainly one of the big fundamental truths about life is it changes with time. And so you don't have to beat yourself up. I don't know that I need a solution. I don't need to answer the question of why, but I think it's common. I don't, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I think it's very common for us as young people to develop strategies that may work in the short term, but fail miserably in the long term. And that's my point, I guess. They fail miserably. They're not just minor uh, issues, but you know, you, 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 something happens to you when you're nine, you behave a certain way in that situation, you avoid some sort of tragedy or, or, or bad thing happening. Five years later, a similar things happens, you behave the same way, and it doesn't work. Five years later, same kind of situation arises, you behave the same way, and you feel terrified, or somebody gets hurt, or whatever. I mean, it's like they really start to crash. And so I guess fundamentally what's wrong with that whole thing is there's not one behavioral solution for every emotion. And I think that's the cause, that that's the sort of, the, the, the mathematical stream is, you feel afraid. You feel some sort of negative emotion. You feel threatened, uh, confused, angry, scared, and you want to go back to the way you were feeling before that happened. So you pinpoint an activity that triggered this emotional response, 
and then you impose some sort of a solution to make it go away, and it either makes it go away and you go back to the same point, or it doesn't, you try something else. And the problem that we don't see, and that, that's pretty logical, right? I'm uncomfortable, I want to be comfortable again. But, a couple of things wrong there. Discomfort is part of life. So maybe one of the things to learn is we need to accept being uncomfortable and learn how to just sit like the quiet episode, sit with that discomfort and realize that it will pass instead of looking for an immediate solution. And then secondarily, something about finding the solution and returning us back to steady state locks that in. And I don't know if we can be aware of that on the front side or if we have to be aware of that on the back side or both to realize that next time this may not work. That every situation is different and we need to, but I think, I think if we can get ahead of it, you know, go further upstream, right? We have a problem, go to try to find the source. I think the source here is how we react to discomfort because what we're doing is we're plugging in, um, a behavior, a change in our behavior pattern to hopefully change the situation, um, and avoiding the situation, running away. That makes people, could make people more introverted all the way up to being sort of agoraphobic or afraid of. Uh, crowds, public places. A lot of things happen in those moments. And so how do we deal with those moments? Now, what I've, I've sort of skipped ahead a little bit. What I learned through therapy is basically related to cognitive behavioral therapy, that we can change our mind's habits just like we change our behavioral habits and sort of rewire those things to in to not induce the same response. But the thing about cognitive behavioral therapy is it almost encourages you to kind of, well, I don't know if the intent of it is to do this, but you, what you want to do is you go, I'm not sad. I don't want to be, I, I'm sad. I don't want to be sad. I'm going to be happy. So I'm going to change my brain to be happy. And that's not really the point of CBT, I don't think. And it doesn't really work that way. What you're trying to do is just understand that your brain is doing this thing and to recognize it. And that's really the first step is to say, the next time you're doing something, I'm, I feel discomfort. Just nail it right there and go, hey, 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 man, woman, sister, they, you're uncomfortable. Now, you understand that your body's going to try to do something that worked before. And it may not work anymore. But anyway, just maybe you ought to just sit in this space and think about, some way to deal with it uh, that's different from what you're about to do. We Stop. I mean, that's the hardest part is just to say, is to get in the middle of that because it's so automatic. It's going by so fast. But I think the CBT wants you to learn to train your brain to take a breath. And then you get into mindfulness meditation. All of that stuff is pointing towards this is a logical solution. Don't just automatically behave because a those behaviors might not work b you may make the wrong choice um you may do something dramatic uh, and and c the, i think the point is to slap your brain upside the head and go quit wait is it let me let me in on this so i can ass- assess the situation make a decision cooler heads prevail all of those things um and and so if that's And there are other ways, you know, uh, other EMDR is an example. I'm movement, I don't know. It's a a method where you watch flashing lights go back and forth on a screen, and it's supposed to train your brain almost to get into a hypnotic state. And the idea in therapy is that you can go back to a situation where you may have learned something. You may have learned one of these beliefs or applied one of these beliefs that, that gave you a, a negative outcome and reprocess it in a, in a way that allows your brain to change. So that's the idea with EMDR is that if you get into this semi-hypnotic state, you can actually do this brain rewiring. Both of those are totally uh, valid um, approaches to trying to retrain y- your brain on how to think differently. At least they say they are. I've done both um, with mild success and I'll get into my sort of pseudo success story in a minute. Um, but, but I think it go, I, what I said before about being alone in a situation and not having adult mentors around to help you make a decision 
suggests another element to this phenomenon that could be addressed. And one is just simply talking about things. You know, I when when these uncomfortable situations happened to me when I was a kid, I tried to talk to my parents about it, but none of us were very good at doing it. Um, if we were better at talking about these things, it may help reduce the severity of these beliefs, the cementation process. Uh, if we were more aware that these things are happening now, and, and that's a long shot, right? Cause we're just suck at communication. I mean, how many times have you heard, talk to your kids about drugs, talk to your kids, like currently talk to your kids about racism. All these things are important. We should be doing more of this, but we're just suck at it. We're not very good. It's very uncomfortable. But having said that, I think that's part of this. And not just conversations and communication on the front end, but on the back end too. Many more people have similar issues going on than are willing to talk about them. You know, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you got X number of people in therapy, I bet the people that could benefit from therapy is X times hundreds, huge factors. So there's a stigma around both that childhood conversation, both from the, there's a stigma for the parents, there's a stigma for the parents' peers, there's a stigma for the kids, the kids' peers, a stigma from teachers. Not many people are encouraging what I would call sort of the right kind of talk about these things. We're doing it, some are trying, talk about bullies. If you you see it, say something or or whatever. There are programs that sort of get at that, but I, I think it's way more general than what we're talking about. It's not about reporting traumatic events if you see them, um, like some of this police brutality stuff and people not saying anything. It's about feeling like it's okay to talk to and having people to talk to in the moment and, and just having that communication mechanism be a part of what we do as people. Who do you... You know, the first, my first emotion, if something like that happened to me when I'm 10, thinking back, is embarrassment. I should be able to handle this. Why did something like this happen to me? It must reflect negatively on me. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming from, to a conversation about that from a point of embarrassment. And that's hard. So how do you get over some of those things? I, you know, I wish I had more answers about that, but I think... Communication is two or three steps downstream of the awareness. You know, understand that the things we learn when we're kids can drastically alter the course of our lives. Just using me as an example and then assuming that anxiety and depression have some sort of links and and potentially other behaviors as adults, addiction, um, could be linked to some of those things. And, And if there are ways to reduce that, then we should be doing them. And, stu- and I'm sure there are people that are studying these things. And it's just, it's a very complicated thing. It's, it's hard to do. Um, and so I'm not beating anybody up. I'm not suggesting that we're doing anything wrong. I'm just thinking the more that we talk about this stuff, the more likely that successive generations will develop these things because this takes time. Um, and, and so along with that, it, or maybe before all that, it's just the cultural acceptance of any of this stuff, of personal growth, of self-awareness, of, of God forbid, therapy, of treating our kids like they need more help. You know, I can think of all the different negative things, and mostly suggestions that I would be gay or feminine, right? I mean, especially for men, we're not supposed to have these feelings. We're not, I, you know, I don't tell most of my friends I'm in therapy. Lately, I've, I've actually intentionally set using, you know, oh, my therapist says in conversations just to sort of gauge the other person's reaction. And my close friends are totally cool with it, and many of them are in therapy too. But the vast majority of people that I know who I would say could benefit from therapy. I don't know anybody that couldn't benefit from therapy or counseling. Just that kind of honest, vulnerable talk. A lot of them are <laughs> very negative uh, feelings toward it. So there's that. And then kids too. I mean, you don't, you don't, 
Kids get picked on more if they appear to be vulnerable. Again, with the derogatory comments, I mean, it's terrible. So, so this cultural acceptance of this idea that we need to develop better skills through being softer and, you know, what people would call feminine or, 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 you know what I'm talking about. I mean, these things have stigmas associated with them that need to be undone. I, I would think communication about issues like these sensitive, vulnerable things ought to be a normal part of the daily cycle. How you doing? Well, you know, actually, this thing happened to me the other day, and I was wondering if maybe you could talk with me about it. I mean, that's oh, that'd be awesome if I felt like you could do that. In fact, I feel more and more alienated by people because you can't do that. Just that simple how you doing thing. 99% of the time, it's a superficial, fine, great, blah, blah, but, you know, it's like, it's just bullshit. I don't even like to hear somebody say it. I almost get mad at the world because it's like, this is a breakdown of the system. What do you really mean when you say that? You really want to know? You really want to talk about this? Why, why aren't we all ready? I mean, why is it this superficial, I don't really care, but I'm going to say this anyway? I mean, at least don't say anything or say something dumb or don't ask me how I am if you don't really want to know. It's so weird. It's like, it's like we do want to do these things, but we suck at it. Anyway, I don't want to get angry about it. Um, and again, not everybody wants this. So there's going to be a significant portion. Um, if you look at the division in the country right now, it's somewhere around 50 cents, give or take 50%, give or take 10 or 15% on either side of how different we are. And so a lot of people don't want anything to do with any of this. And maybe they don't have problems that manifest in their lives and good for them. There's no, but I still think, I still think it's a fundamental element of being a human being that we, we what Carlos Castro, what the Toltecs would say, we stalk our being. We, we, we spend a certain amount of our energy questioning and examining how we're behaving and ask the question of, is this how I want to be? I think that's important. Not everybody does. So first of all, of course, changing this, changing this, manifestation of old beliefs into adulthood and causing potential harm. Changing that system requires the will, the, the will to do it. You want to do that. And then, and then using some of these tools, which I think begins uh, with increasing awareness and reducing the stigma around these things. Because at the end of the day, I really look at this as one of those things that's just a tragedy of the human condition. It's, we're not going to change the fact that our minds, as brilliant as they are, have these sort of downsides. The side effect of being a thinker is having a brain that works faster than you can be aware of and will find solutions to problems that may not be the ones you want and dictate your behavior that may not be what you intended to do. That's and that's just something we got to deal with. I mean, it's like the Buddha says. I mean, there are there is good and bad, and it's it's how you react to those things that, that determines the outcome. And so, I'm not saying we need to change our brains. Um, in fact, I'm not even so sure a lot of this falls into the field of neuroscience. I mean, I think it's a lot of just awareness, mindfulness that is going to solve this problem. Oh, and that, so that may be the next, the next. Well, f- well, close on is sort of. I look at my wife right now and she's going through similar things and you know, I'll see her be con- you know, confusedly angry or upset about something. And I'm trying to piece apart like what the cause is, of course, because the, my first thought is it's something I did. And so I, I have a need, an unhealthy, selfish need to know that I am not the cause of someone else's discomfort. Um, and if I am, I, you know, I, I want to do something about it. And as soon as I understand that that's not true, I can be helpful. And so in trying to help her, I, all I can do is what I know and what I've done. And she has similar, she doesn't have a metaphobia by any means, but she has some anxiety and some anger um, and some sort of um, strife, right? 
uh, and she's a little bit younger than me. And it all makes sense to me when I see it. I'm like, yeah. And, and what I want her to do is get on the path, too, of being able to fix that. And that's the driving force again. I said that before is I'm not trying to be a perfect person. I'm just trying to reduce the artifacts of the human condition like our attachment to depression. It's okay to be depressed a little bit. It's okay. And and if you are clinically depressed, you get help for that. That's okay. You can work with that. But what we do wrong is we, or I did wrong, is you go with that. That becomes your identity. It drives you further and further and further, what I will all say, down or away from a comfortable life. And so all I'm looking for is to is to be more comfortable and to find out how humans are supposed to do that. How are we supposed to find peace and satisfaction, not happiness and rich and all those things. Just how do we live a better life? How do we go day to day um, more satisfied with how things are, uh, the things that we can't change? How do we control the us part of that and fit in? So bad things happen, you deal with that. Good things happen, you deal with that. Um, that's all I'm saying. And I put it under the umbrella of a better life, but there's a lot of details in there. So given that there's a human condition that's hard to deal with, how do we do that so that it feels better? You know, sort of that we master this body, this vehicle, this time that we have. Um, and for, for me, and so I want that for my wife. So I say, well, what did I do? Because I feel better. I have less anxiety. I have less emetophobia. I have less fear of public speaking or being around people. I have less, I have more belief that I'm good enough um, and don't question that. I don't have the driving need to please people as much. I mean, I'm getting better. I'm not fixed and I never will be. I have created, come up with mechanisms of dealing with some of these things. I have bad bad days and all that stuff goes out the window and I'm still the same nine-year-old kid Afraid I'm going to get beat up, but for the most part, the quality of my life is is better. Um, and how? I really don't have any idea. There's no smoking gun. I can't pinpoint anything that's changed. Um, the only thing I can think of is what my therapist said: is you put the work in. And I don't even really know what that means. Um, I think prior to about. 20 years ago, I was completely oblivious to any of this, uh, except for the fact that I had read about the Toltecs and I understood old beliefs and I understood the concept that, um, you know, things could happen to you and alter your behavior and that people have these neuroses. I just, I didn't really know much of the details. Uh, and then the emetophobia problem had to be solved. Um, and so, I started seeing therapists probably about 20 years ago. I can't, I don't think it was that long ago. I don't think I saw a therapist till about 10 years ago, but about 20 years ago, I really started, you know, trying to understand or question why uh, I did the things that I did. And I sort of started thinking about, you know, being, picked on and and sort of my attitudes about things. And certainly I had to get better at public speaking. And so things like, how do you be prepared? You know, so I learned about practicing and rehearsing and, 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 and not caring about what people think as much and sort of some of those things for a while. Um, And then it really didn't start until I, my first divorce happened and all that situation sort of led me to go, I need some help right now. And rather than come up, well, you know, and, and I came up with my own solutions, which was drinking more, you know, some really unhealthy things. And I thought, now is when I need help. I need a support system of people that can get me through this so that I make better decisions. You know, even as far as like discussing things with lawyers, you know, the, just saying that I need to change my behavior and if I'm going to get through this. And that's when I seriously started seeing a therapist. And of course, for a while, it was just the immediate um, depression and, and, and I was really blindsided and and shocked into this and trying to manage what to do and how do I make decisions? And, you know, it's funny, that's the same sort of support system I wish I would have had when I was nine. And some of these things happened if I could have stopped and gone and talked to people before I did anything drastic. Um, and, and, but none of that 
did much immediately. Um, and about probably three or four years into it, I realized that I was doing some unhealthy things like drinking too much, searching for a replacement uh, for my wife, things I needed to get past if I was ever going to be able to be in a relationship again, things I needed to move past if I was going to be able to be a good dad to my kids. And so slowly over the course of the, the, you know, this was probably now like, I don't know, seven or eight or nine years ago, making some modest changes to my lifestyle to get better and continuing to be in therapy and to continue to question and, and oh, and to figure out my role. You know, they, I learned that in every divorce like that, it's never one person's fault. Both people played a role. And so I looked at what my role was and the things that came out were things like being codependent, being depressed, being anxious, you know, um, being pretty angry a lot of times at being a stay-at-home dad. The way that I dealt with those emotions put a strain on the relationship, to say the least. And so, okay, I have these issues. I don't want to do this again. How do I start to address some of these things? And it turns out a lot of those things are linked, right? The the anxiety and the anger and the feeling less than and the you know worry people pleasing and always tr- being worried about whether or not I was making people happy those things reduced my personality i spent so much time doing that i wasn't this the cool guy that i was uh, when that relationship began and so the interest died and so like okay how do i retain the good parts of my personality and myself and not lose that completely. You know, it's, I, I, I think my story of that divorce was I eventually became a doormat and you know, the doormat is what people wipe their feet on and who wants to be married to that? Who wants to be bothered by that? Who wants to whatever, you know, I, that's extreme, but that sort of gets you in the ballpark of what was going on. So I had to figure out how not to be a doormat anymore. And that revealed a lot of this stuff. But I was still anxious, you know, I was still scared, I was still angry about lots of different things. I was still implementing old beliefs from childhood, even though I had become more and more and more and more aware that that doesn't work, and it was actually hurting me, and it become a neurosis of its own, and I developed a personality around that that was unhealthy. Um, but it wasn't like I could just go, oh, I'll just change that. You know, being aware of it was just the beginning of a long-term cycle of small changes, many just from the point of saying, oh, I'm doing that. That's the end of it. Um, Saying that over and over again, I'm guessing, because I don't know how I got, I have improved. I'm a better. Um, So I think I have achieved a healthy level of awareness and attention on my personal growth, and specifically my past issues, old beliefs, that's a regular part of my life. I can't tell you what I do beyond being aware and repeating some of the things in my head that I've learned and trying to implement new strategies. I can't tell you what I've done specifically, but the effects are reduced with time. And I don't think it would have happened normally because I know people that are in my exact same situation that are still the same angry. It's like that became their personality. I've been able to fin that off to a certain, you know, sometimes I'm, I, I, I let that out or I become that person or, or, or that, that anger and that scared kid comes out. I'm, I'll never shed that. But I understand And maybe that's a part of it. I understand that that's not who I want to be every day. I accept that that's a part of me. Those old beliefs always will be. That they serve me for a while. It's like saving an old t-shirt or something, you know, um, because I'm not allowed to throw it out or something. If I could just throw it out and forget about it. But that's like revisionist, you know. I I was that. I That happened, those things happened, and those strategies were developed, and I realized they didn't work, and now I'm trying to change them. That's all part of the story, and it needs to be kept sort of there. Um, And I guess maybe more than anything, it's that. I'm keeping that stuff on my table. You know, the the Toltecs refer to that as the tonal, the, the table, where all the stuff is that's really not important, and everything outside of that is the nahua. I don't know how to say it, N-A-Q, N-A-G-U-A-L. 
um, I'm keeping that stuff on the table until I don't need it anymore. And I think right now there almost serves as like tokens of a reminder of this is why you want to try to do this. Here's why it's important not to isolate yourself and start getting mad at people. Here's here's why it's important not to blame other people for your problems. Something about keeping that stuff in the general stream of things without attaching to it, without saying, oh, that's going to make me mad. I'm going to be mad all day because, you know, some kid pushed me off my bike when I was a kid. You know, that still happens sometimes, but having it be there and tease me and to say, go ahead, go ahead, run down this rabbit hole with me. You know, I want you to like get way depressed and even get mad at your wife about it and don't even explain why. They want me to do those things. But because they're there, I can say no to them. And the more that I say no, the better I get. And the more, and eventually those things can be pushed off the table um, and replaced by better things or, or whatever. Uh, I don't know. But I think overall, and not by a huge change, um, I'm working these things out. And things are getting better gradually. And these... The attention that needs to be paid to not being, not buying into an old belief is freeing up energy to develop a new way. And I really truly think that's what life is all about. And that maybe by the time we die, we can feel good about that. Uh, Anyway, if you put all that stuff that I just said which is really spontaneous. Into a nutshell, uh, if I had to tell people what works better, you know, it's it's therapy and understanding your story, and then mindfulness, which I th- think means removing attachment to that. It's your story. It happened. These emotions are going to come up. These old belief systems are going to try to run your life. You don't have to let them. And so how you do that is by constantly trying to be aware of what's happening, mindfulness, without becoming attached to the outcome of that. You know, just because you go, oh, I'm mad because this guy reminds me of that person that hurt me, and I'm really mad. That's the part you skip. You go, I'm mad because this happened, and oh, I'm going to sit with this. I have the choice to decide how this is going to make me feel. And sometimes you can't do that, and sometimes you can do that. But I think the more times that you're able to do that, the more it becomes a habit. And that's the crappiest thing about this whole thing. Something can happen instantaneously and form a solid belief for life. You want to change that, it takes years (laughs) of energetic effort. It doesn't make any sense. That's the travesty. But it is the what it is. It's what we got to work with. I mean, what are you going to do? So I appreciate you sharing my personal journey through my sort of old belief story. And I think we all have these. And hopefully awareness of them and an attempt to keep those things on the table can help people better understand why they do the things they do and introduce an opportunity for change. And it's unfortunate that there's not a prescription or a smoking gun of how to do that. But if you've paid attention to any of my podcasts, I think you probably agree with what I'm saying and that that's the pathway that you want to be on. (laughs) It's like when I was getting my divorce, I used to say, it takes so much effort to be on the high road. It's so much easier to be on a low road. What is the incentive to be on the high road? Why do you spend all this time trying to do the right thing when there's, it's hard and there's no immediate instant gratification like there is on the low road? And the only thing I could think of to, come up with, to explain that was the only thing good about being on the high road is looking down at the low road and being glad that you're not there. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to that too. Uh, That's why we do it. And hopefully it doesn't cause too much pain. So yeah, I would check out Gary Van Warmerdam, Don Miguel Ruiz, if you haven't thought of that. And maybe even 
Carlos Castaneda's Teaching of Don Juan um, books, which is a good sort of pseudo-fiction introduction to this stuff. But certainly, Pathway to Happiness, Gary Van Warmerdam talks a lot about old beliefs and could help you. Thanks for paying attention. www.chrisbercher.com. Knowledge plus experiences equals wisdom. Reach out. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. <laughs>